Welcome to the OA Lighter Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files. Forms for ordering CDs for these speakers and a place to donate to keep this special, uh, special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Carol. Hi, my name is Carol and I'm a compulsive overeater. It's nice to see such a wonderful, warm group of people and I feel at home just having heard all the steps and um, heard the chip takers and congratulations to all the chip takers. And I love the fact that you have all these slogans on the wall. It's really great. I I must say I am a bit nervous about speaking for 40 minutes. My kind of default, my little mental default is set at about 10, but, you know, 40 is good too. I have plenty to say about my recovery. So, um, and, you know, I do love these slogans. I, I believe that I will use any tool possible to um, further my program. I have this little pen that's got all these slogans on it, plus when you click it, it gives you each line of the serenity prayer. <laughs> In my wallet, I have erasers to erase negative thoughts. So, you know, as as long as I continue to use everything at my disposal, you know, I'm, I'm happy. Um, to qualify, I came into program in either 86 or 87. I can't quite remember. Um, I've been abstinent for 11 years. Uh, I'm down 80 pounds from my top weight, and in uh, and I relapsed if you do the math, um, and I'm down 45 pounds from my relapse weight. So that's that's where I came from. Um, I'm a pretty much garden variety compulsive overeater. I started compulsively overeating at a very young age. In fact, some of my first memories are of getting up at like about four o'clock in the morning. Um, going into the kitchen, pushing a chair up against the counter, to stand on the chair, to stand on the counter, to get the goodies that my mom hid on top of the refrigerator, and then eating those. And, you know, so sneaking, shame, um, inappropriate eating started really, really early for me. Um, My parents always tried to control my weight. I was kind of like the kid in the family that was the, if only Carol could get thin, everything would be better. You know, um, I don't want to dwell too much on what it was like, but part of my story is, is the shame of compulsively overeating. And even, you know, my parents would um, try to bribe me to lose weight. After church on Sundays, we'd go to the grocery store and they had a big scale. You put a dime in in those days and you got on and weighed yourself. So if the, the routine would be that we would go to church. We'd go to the grocery store. I'd get on the scale. If I lost weight, I'd get a dollar. If I didn't, everybody would be crestfallen. So, you know, just those really nasty kind of shame-based um, eating experiences are what I what I came came in with, and um, I tried lots of diets, as I'm sure many of you have. Um, in college, I lost a lot of weight. 
gained it back, lost a lot of weight, gained it back. I even, uh, at one point when I had lost weight, I uh, lost weight on a commercial um, eating plan, and I, and I ended up working for them. But eventually what happened is that I went into relapse, and there I was standing in front of people every week trying to tell them how to lose weight and not being able to control my own eating. So it was very demoralizing, and, um, you know, I have a fat head. I have a fat head. Um, I don't... I I used to think that I wanted to be recovered from compulsive overeating, and now I'm not sure that I feel that way. Um, I know that my knee-jerk reaction to most situations is going to to want to eat something to fix it. Um, I I also know that there's a part of me that, that just believes that that I'm fat, you know, whether I am or not. That's where my head goes. But now I take it as a good reminder. You know, I need to remember that I'm a compulsive overeater. I never want to forget that I am because I never want to go back into that depth of despair of not being able to stop. And, um, you know, I just don't want to go back there. Um, So... uh, I didn't get married until I was 34. I got married before I came into program, but it was really, really very difficult for me when I got married, you know, managing a relationship and trying to stay. I was probably about um, 20 pounds heavier than I am, but, you know, relationships are pretty hard and scary for me. And so to be married, to be a newlywed, and to keep my weight at a reasonable uh, level was really hard. Um, I was pretty successful in everything else that I did. I have a, you know, I have a college degree. I had a decent job. I had, um, I had just the things that you would want, you know, a house, all everything, the 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 picture perfect American life. But I was like nuts with my food, and. Um, and I, I don't think I knew where to go at that at the point when I got married. Um, I, could, I could feel that, you know, like when, you have, when you're dieting and you can only hold on for so long and you feel like you're just like ripping the, the paint off the walls because you can't do it by yourself anymore. That's kind of what it felt like to me after I had, um, after I had been married for a while and I just... I felt like I needed to eat and eat and eat to be a part of that relationship. But at that at that time, I was a um, I was a sales rep, and my um, one of my customers I had become friends with her. But you know, I kind of had a route, and it would be maybe three or four months be, between visits. So um, I I hadn't seen her in quite a while. And I went back one day, and she was like, I don't know, 80 pounds lighter than when I last saw her. And I was just shocked. I was shocked. So um, I said, what, you know, I asked her how she'd done it. And she told me that she, in the the 80s, eating disorder units were quite popular. But she told me she'd gone into an eating disorder unit and that she was a member of Overeaters Anonymous. And that's how she had lost her weight and that's how she was working to keep it off. 
So she was my Eskimo. She brought me into my first meeting Saturday afternoon, 2.30 in the park in Studio City. I can remember it to this day. And I knew as soon as I was there that I was in the right place. The woman uh, who was speaking, you know, she didn't exactly tell my story, but she spoke about food in a way that I had never heard people speak. You know, she talked about just having that voracious appetite to just have more and more and more. And, you know, we're as sick as our secrets, but um, part of the crazy things I've done uh, with food, um, I use, pop, popcorn is one of the foods that's on my abstinence list. And I was living in San Francisco in the 70s and, um, you know, pretty lonely. And so I would you know, eat popcorn, then I'd have all that guilt, shame, and remorse that we all know so well. I'd throw it in the trash. At the time, I was smoking like two packs of cigarettes a day. So I'd throw the contents of the ashtray on top of the popcorn kernels. And then about an hour or two later, I'd just be like so in need of a popcorn fix that I'd take them out of the trash, put them through the colander, wash them off, clean them off, and repop these popcorn kernels. I mean, that's how sick I was, and that's how much I needed my food. But, you know, that's the best I could do. That's what I needed to do to survive. And, and part of my story is I'm, I'm not, you know, we have sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. I'm a sometimes slowly, and it certainly has taken what it takes. So my friend brought me into OA in in the 87 or 86 or 87, whatever, and um, and I thought I could just come in here and get this diet and move on. You know, I didn't want to be a part of, but I knew that I was in the right place. So I I just kind of went into diet mode and started losing some weight, and um, and then uh, you know I had that trying to scratch the paint off the walls feeling because I couldn't do it anymore and that's when I broke down and got a sponsor Um, and this person the woman who I got for my sponsor had a lot of energy and she you know she just I felt that she would be a really good person for me she's very loving and very caring and she um, she really guided me Um, you know Many of us are so intelligent and so capable, but there's this whole other side of our lives, or at least for me, my life that was broken. And, you know, she helped me do basic things like, with her help, I was able to um, get a pet. Um, I had an experience when I was a kid, and I, I just didn't think I would be capable of taking care of a dog. And with her help, she helped me get get this dog and it was she was such a wonderful dog and I I learned that I could actually take care of another creature and and you know in so doing I started taking care of myself when I start when I first abstained I I just abstained for from sugar that's the best I could do and um you know it's important for me to start where I am I was eating all kinds of other things all kinds of sugar free stuff I also abstained from popcorn those were the two things Um, and uh, but I was eating all this kind of sugar free fruit juice sweetened stuff and you know I I was I'd stop it at the time it was 
uh, well, I, I don't want to mention the name, a certain store, and um, I just buy two packs of cookies and whatever, and I'd eat a half a pack each on the way home. I mean, that's what I was doing, and I, I was calling myself abstinent. Well, you know, that doesn't work for me now, but that's, that's the best I could do at the time. And um, at least I had the honesty to tell my sponsor and to report that to my sponsor. At, uh, I, she encouraged me to go to a meeting where um, you couldn't speak if you hadn't been led through the first three steps. So I loved that meeting because I just wanted to hide. I mean, I was the person that I didn't, I never sat in the last row, but I sat in the second to the last row. And, you know, I loved it that I couldn't, I didn't have to speak at that meeting. But, you know, I learned a lot about uh, the history of AA and the history of our program. And I studied the first three steps in detail, read a a lot, read AA Comes of Age and uh, the big book in detail. And um, it gave me a really good basis for my program. Um, But I was only willing to go so far. I did write my inventory. Um, It took me about a year. Finally, when I was so stalled, my sponsor said, just write about why you can't finish your inventory. And that was it. You know, that's all I needed. So um, she very graciously heard my fifth step. And it was a very loving experience. Um, She asked me, um, so what do you think your character defects are? And, you know, my ego was so fragile at that time, I actually could not think of one defect. (laughs) I just, it was just like, what? You know, I just could not think of one defect of character. And... um, So, you know, with her help, we just kind of slowly inched along. But at some point, um, I was not enlarging my spiritual life. I was not reaching out to others. I really had my sponsor on a pedestal. I depended on her a great deal. And and eventually, um, it stopped working. You know, it's if half measures avail us nothing, that's what the big book says, and that's the truth. It, it is it is for me because uh, there came a day when, you know, a, a business colleague gave me some chocolate stuff to take home to my husband and it never made it it never made it to my house. You know, it just it was gone before I hit the driveway. And, um, you know, at that point I thought, well, you know, I can handle this sugar now. I couldn't, I couldn't admit that I broke my abstinence. And, you know, obviously my, um, my ego was just in self-will. I was working Carol's program. It, I was not working the program of Overeaters Anonymous. So, um, that led into like a three-year relapse. I never left the rooms, but I was unable to get my abstinence back, even though it was pretty weak. You know, what I would consider today for me weak. Um, but I never stopped coming, and I, I am so grateful that I never stopped coming because I didn't have to gain 80 pounds. I, 45 was all I ended up ended going up. So um, 
my friend who has like 25 years of abstinence, I was like telling her, well, I could do, I could be abstinent again if I could just eat sugar during my two trade show times, you know, like two times a year, if I could just eat sugar. And and she just looked at me. She just gave me this boring, you know, eyes bored into me look. And she says, Carol, all you have to do is pray for the willingness. So, um, I don't know what happened. I don't know if I was ready to hear it, but I was able to get abstinent again. And you know what? You, I, I thought I can have her abstinence. She has 25 years. I'll take her abstinence. So I stopped eating sugar, and I wasn't eating popcorn, and her abstinence is three meals a day. Well, I started doing that, but, you know, I was getting that scraping the paint off the walls feeling again. And um, thank goodness I, I realized that I could create my own abstinence. And I, I can't exactly remember when, but at around that time um, we started doing the ABCs of abstinence. And I went to a full weekend workshop which helped me define the difference between my food plan and my abstinence and having an abstinence that's a big enough hoop that I could jump through no matter where I go or what I do. And that that really, that's like the one of the basis, the, it's a basis of my, um, my program today because I love to travel. I know I can go anywhere in the world and be abstinent. My food plan may look a little squirrely, but it's the, if it's the best I can do in that country, then it's the best I can do. I'm, I'm still abstinent. I have a clear abstinence today. I also realized that if I was going to stay abstinent, I had to enlarge my spiritual life. I had to get really honest, get out of denial about all the all the um, sugar-free kind of things that I was doing, and I had to add those to my abstinence. I had to really understand that if I tried to control and manipulate the food, it was not going to work. I was just It was just a matter of time until I was back in relapse and doomed. And, you know, even though I couldn't control my food and I couldn't, I couldn't get abstinent again, I think the worst feeling when I was in relapse was being so numb, just feeling numb. Um, I used to sit in meetings and listen to people cry and think, God, I wish I could cry because, you know, I, I, I just was like a hollow, hollow, empty person. That's not the case now. I'm abstinent, and I'm really grateful for my abstinence. Um, I'm just jumping around a bit, but... Um, my father died in uh, last November, and he was sick for five years, and uh, I was abstinent through the whole thing. I did put on about five pounds gradually, um, but I have to tell you, without the program and without the tools and without the, the traditions which teach me how to live in the world and act as a, as a grown-up, um, I could have never made it through. Um, I've learned lots of tools. 
that are not exactly on our tool list, but uh, the telephone is one that I used quite a bit at that time. Anytime I would go to visit my dad, which is a drive to Long Beach, I'd make a, I'd bookend my visit with a phone call. I'd make a call on my drive down. I'd make a call on my drive home, just so that I could, you know, keep myself into perspective. I also started doing service. Um, I'm retired, so when I was in business, I had my own business with two partners. Um, I was not able to do service above the inner, above the meeting level. It was just too much for me with my work schedule. But since I've retired, I've um, started doing service about at the intergroup level, and that has really, really helped my program. Um, when my dad was so sick, I, I did. I was a 12-step within chair, and then I moved on to another position. And you know that giving service is it it really did keep me abstinent. You know, I, I have it marked in the big book, um, Dr. Bob's Nightmare. And um, you know, he says he does he, he passes on our program for four reasons. One, a sense of duty, two, it is a pleasure, three, because in so doing I'm paying my debt to the man who took time to pass it on to me. And four, because every time I do it, I take out a little more insurance for myself against a possible slip. And then for me, the service has also helped me stretch my boundaries. It helps me to take risks and to grow. And uh, pro I find that program is a really safe place to do just that, to take risks and to grow. And that's what, that's what service has given me, but it's... Um, it's really a pr an integral part of my program these days. Um, I thought I had a real clear idea about what I would get out of the service, and what I've what I've received is something totally different. I figured I am going to know those traditions so well, inside and out, when I finish my tenure. And actually, I. I've had, yes, I do. I know them a lot better. I also know people on all levels of service, but um, I've, I've been able to understand um, that this, pro for me, OA is like a gentle growth. It's, you know, when you're out in the regular world, you can just set a goal and go for it. Well, for me, my recovery doesn't seem to work that way. It's like a gentle unfolding that I get from my higher power. And, um, you know, I'm so driven and goal-oriented that um, to just sit back and allow space for my higher power to come in is um, its a real gift. And so now, you know, that pause when agitated or doubtful, it, it means something different. It means it has a deeper meaning for me now because um, sometimes I think my head says, I know how to fix this. And that's, you know, today I know, whoa, let's stop right there. Go to somebody else, a trusted, a trusted advisor in, in, my, in my program and check this out because often I just need to to pause. Um, we talk a lot about going into action. 
part of my disease wants me to just jump in and create a solution. And so for me, just the sitting back and allowing God to have his face helps me so much in both my service and my life and actually my marriage. You know, um, I've been married 28 years now. And I know that I know that I would not have been married today if I if I had left these rooms. Um, my husband and I have a really good relationship, and sometimes he'll just say, "Don't you need to go to a meeting?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay, I guess I need to, you know, just step way back." Um, I use most of the tools. I'd say I probably use about four tools a day. I, I, def, I read, I write, I, I use the telephone, I sponsor. Um, anonymity, I, I, you know, I practice pretty regularly. Um, and even our ninth tool, the action plan, I think for me, the joy of the, and you know, there's been a bunch of controversy about the action plan, but um, for me, the action plan is almost like knowing that I have a plan. I may not follow it exactly, but I have a plan, and it is specified for me. Um, it takes a huge burden of decision off of me. It's like if I can surrender, I surrender to my my abstinence, I surrender to my food plan, I surrender to my action plan, and then I just go about my day and and do what's in front of me to do. Um, I, I suffer from uh, being a perfectionist, and I know that that gets me in trouble uh, quite a bit. I've I've come to understand that part of my disease is that I, I, I minimize the bad things that are going on in my life and I minimize the good thing, the my accomplishments. And, you know, part of the third step prayer for me is to, is to not, uh, to not minimize, but, but it is to be exactly who and what I am. So it's not minimizing the good, it's not minimizing the bad. I can take I can take credit for the good things that I do and I can take responsibility for the bad things that I do. And I can make amends and I can understand what they are and I can go forward from there. Um, you know, part of my self-centeredness and self-will is to like spin in what I did wrong and... Um, to me, that's just as much a, 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 a defect that spinning. It just takes me out. It's just another distraction from living my life to its fullest and, and to doing God's will. I used to do, when I was first abstinent and again, I, I think for about uh, four years I did um, uh uh, A-E-I-O-U 10th step every night and for those of you who may not know you just write down your abstinence for me I'd write down my food plan and then I'd write down what I actually ate um, E is exercise and I love to swim I swim laps and that's kind of meditative for me too um, 
I is what I did for myself. O is what I did for others. U is what I uncovered. And then I'd add the Y for yippee to, you know, <laughs> have, to do, have, have to have a great acknowledgement of myself. So Y for yippee. I kind of got away from doing that. Um, and, but the good thing about doing that is when I would feel like starving, I could go back to that little book and say, well, I ate this six months ago and I was fine you know it didn't bother me a bit so it was good to keep but I, I, I eventually you know so much of it had to do with my husband I, I, it, there came a point where I was afraid that maybe he'd find it so I burned it and it is gone but, um, and I'm getting ready I haven't done it yet but I'm, I think I'm going to convert my 10th steps to just doing the the big book 10 steps was I resentful do I owe anybody an apology just answering those questions every night from page 86 to 88 um, I would like to say that I meditate on a, on a regular basis um, I set the timer maybe twice a week and, and meditate but I do find that um, for me, swimming laps is really good. Questions, problems that are mulling around, I just get kind of get into a zone. That repetitiveness of the of the uh, swimming just allow. I've I've had things just pop into my head, like solutions pop into my head, and I really believe that that's calming my mind and allowing space for my higher power to to give me some direction. You know, in, in OA's uh, Step 12, we have all the principles of the program. And I love the principles because they're just so full of hope. And um, sometimes when I'm looking at my defects, I'll say, okay, what is the flip side of this defect? And I'll go to that Step 12 in the AA, the OA 12 and 12, and, and look for the flip side of that defect. And, and then I kind of think, well, maybe I just need a little remedial on that step. So it kind of helps direct me to, to where, where I need to go. Sometimes my sponsor will say, what step do you think you're on with this? And um, thank you. And so, you know, it helps direct me to what step I'm on. I just want to talk a little bit about my higher power when I, I, um, I'm kind of a religious cynic and um, never really felt connected in, a, in an organized religion. So I had to come up with a higher power of, of my own understanding. And when I was first in program, the best I could do was to envision myself encased in a big bubble. And um, to me, that was the protection of my higher power, that, that space between me and the exterior of the bubble. That was, that was my higher power. And um, that's where I could feel safe. Since then, it has really evolved. I, and now I have more of an internal higher power. I just know that... I just know that I have the right answers within me if I get out of my own way and allow my higher power to speak speak to me. 
and I also hear my higher power in the messages in the shares of all of you of all my fellows um, I still haven't made it into any kind of an organized uh, faith I don't know if I ever will and that's okay because you know this program gives me the the freedom to find a solution that works that is totally unique to me I mean my higher power my abstinence my food plan those are all unique to Carol but I have a simple program that is not that if it's unique to Carol I'm in trouble I have a simple program of Overeaters Anonymous that's you know that includes the 12 steps the 12 traditions the 9 tools and now we have the 12 concepts so um I have a good life today, and I pretty mu- I, I fully believe that I owe it to this program. I have a good marriage. I have good friendships, um, and I'm safe and secure. And just like I, I know it's no accident that the big book ends with the story to handle sobriety, because this. And last two pages of the big book talk about the fact that um, our program is, has not been designed to help me stop eating. It's to help me live in sobriety or in abstinence because that's the tricky part. You know, it's having a good life and being abstinent no matter what. And um, it reminds me that I may not have everything that I want, but I have everything that I need. So with that, I'm going to end, and I thank you very much. And thanks again, Martha. Sure. And thank you. I do think we have a little time for questions. So if anybody would like to ask a question, I'd be happy to answer. Okay, the question is, how do I define my abstinence today? Actually, I uh, just abstain from specific foods. Um, I found that that works better for me than something like three meals a day. So I abstain. Um, I have kind of a litany. I abstain from sugar, fake sugar desserts, um, popcorn, but on a daily basis I don't eat corn, and alcohol. And that's it. And I find that without those foods in my system, it doesn't set up the allergy of the, of the body and then the phenomenon of craving doesn't kick in. So I'm in pretty good shape. There's probably eight other foods that I don't eat on a daily basis and I haven't, haven't eaten. I commit them daily and, um, you know, that's uh, chips, hand-to-mouth raisins, hand-to-mouth nuts, Cheez-Its, and there's something else. There's something else. But you know what? They're not on my abstinence, but one day at a time I choose not to eat them. Sure. The question is, um, basically, how do you control your abstinence when you're traveling? And, you know, because my abstinence is about specific foods, I I make the best choice I can if there's if there's something that has some sugar in it and I eat, I take a bite and it has some sugar in it, I just stop eating it. 
you know, I I think that anywhere I can go, I can make make choices for foods that don't have my uh, abstinence items in it. I have traveled like in third world countries where you know the choice the choice of food to eat is either noodle soup or fried rice, and you know both of those work for me. Um, I've also traveled in places like Japan where you know you can't read the language. So once I got a um, I got a drink and I thought it was I thought it, it from a vending machine out at a train station and I thought it was lemon flavored water and I started drinking and I'm like what is this and I realized it was like a, a, an alcoholic drink <laughs> and you know so I just stopped I just stopped and threw it away and I don't consider that a break in abstinence because I'm making the best decision I can. Okay, thank you very much.